Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne, and joining me from Brooklyn, New York City, where they paint murals of Biggie, is Judge John Hodgman. All over Park Slope. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we got we got murals of Jonathan Lethem up in here in Park Slope. <laughs> murals of murals of strollers outside bodegas. Outside pho restaurants, sorry. So, Jesse, look, I am back in Brooklyn. Maine is sadly in the rearview mirror, and it is farther than the objects appear. It is gone in my past for now. Thank you, Joel Mann. Thank you, Monty Belmonte, for anchoring that all New England episode last week. I'm back in Brooklyn. And Jesse, I got to tell you, I'm mad. Really? I'm not mad about the geographical change, Jesse. That's okay. These are the emotional lurches of life that make life interesting. I'm mad because I got back to Brooklyn and I got an email and it made me, made me mad. Wow. Got an email from listener, listener Kate. Now we've heard from Kate before, Jesse, because remember when, uh, remember when we decided to turn this podcast into an all condiments podcast because we decided we want to be really popular and millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. And we were struggling for a name, you know, and Kate came through with a pretty good name back in August. Uh, uh, Kate came through with the name Condigents. Condigents. Mm-hmm. It's pretty yeah. good. It's pretty solid. For a Doughboys knockoff podcast. Yeah. I'm still pretty sure we should do it, mm-hmm. but we'll put a pin in that. Kate went from being my my top fave to my Fanti level problematic fave. Wow. Because then Kate followed up with an email on September 10th saying, hello from Vermont. Okay, so far. Settle a bet. Did David Reese write that Beaches of Michigan segment? Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is in reference, of course, to a couple of weeks ago when I had to eat some crow. I had to munch on some crow because I had been on the podcast talking about how Michigan, how, how Lake Michigan has no decent beaches. I don't care whether in your Wisconsin, Indiana, or Michigan, Lake Michigan has no decent beaches, and people were mad at me about it. And I did some research. It turns out they have some incredible beaches, particularly in the Indiana Dunes. Did a whole segment about it. I was so happy about it. And then Kate wrote... Did David Reese write that? Now, Kate, I don't want to make you feel bad, but you genuinely made me feel bad. It's not. (laughs) I was on, I was on the streets of Brooklyn getting ready to start my day. And I checked my email and I'm like, what? I poured my ever loving heart into that thing. Did David Reese. Look, I love David Reese. You know that Jesse. Yeah. We all love David Reese. A wonderful man. Wonderful man. Now, now more than ever, a good time to revisit David Reese's groundbreaking and still blisteringly funny and frankly prescient series of comics about the war in Afghanistan called Get Your War On. Go back and find them. There's, there are books of them. Of course, David Reese is my very dear friend and my colleague. We're working on a secret project together. I get nothing against David Reese. I'd be proud David Reese had written a thing, but when someone, there's nothing, there's nothing Reesean about that. My Great Lakes Beach Report was all Hodgman, Kate. It's all Hodgman. You know what I wrote? I wrote back to Kate and I said, how dare you? That's what I wrote back. Kate wrote back and just wrote, shrugs, what can I say? Wow. Yeah. Ice cold. Ice cold up there in Vermont, Kate. Ben and Jerry's, we're talking about <laughs> exactly, frozen. Exactly, the deep freeze. Oh, boy. You know how Ben and Jerry's has those frozen core varieties of ice cream? Yeah. Where you have delicious ice cream, but but inside is a rock hard solid frozen core of some flavor you don't want. That's your heart, Kate. Yeah. It's your heart, but it's okay. Mm. Just be careful. Just be careful when you're emailing a, a podcaster. Don't question the validity of their, don't say that I'm plagiarizing David Reese for getting a ghostwriter. I'd throw myself into this. Anyway, it's no big deal, Kate. I love you. I love you all. I love you, Jesse. I love you, Jennifer. It's great to be back on this part of my coast. Great to see you there in Los Angeles. Let's dispense some justice. It was a good segment. Reese, Reese wrote it, right? No. Not even as a joke. Not even as a joke. Here's a David case. Reese is an incredible writer, but he doesn't know anything. I'll tell you what. I'm going to text him right now. I have his number. Just, you know, just hang on. You, you, you opened the store, uh, bailiff. You're going to walk through it. David Reese texting him. What can you tell me about the beaches you can hear i'm typing yeah of lake michigan we'll see what he writes back michigan question mark send all right 
Now I'm putting that on silent mode. See what happens. Let's hear some justice. Here's a case from Kevin in Los Angeles. My partner and I have a dispute regarding how, and more specifically, where I trim my beard stubble. Mm. I'll sometimes go to the shared roof of our apartment building to shave off my short stubble with an electric razor. I only go when the roof is vacant and I go to an area where my fellow tenants do not lounge and I let my stubble fall onto some gravel. I do this to prevent making a small mess of our bathroom, but my partner is exasperated by the thought of potentially having my tiny stubbly hairs blowing around where people may end up lounging. Your guidance, wisdom, and firm grasp on the scales of justice are needed in helping us with our hygienic differences. I let my stubble fall onto some gravel. Thanks, William. Carlos Williams. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. Such a great line. Such a great line, Kevin. But is is it the correct thing to do? Jesse, you've got yourself a beautiful mustache and beard. Thank you. you. You keep them in trim. Yeah, I do. And this is timely for me because I woke up this morning and I'm like, I got to, I got to trim my mustache because it's starting to crawl into my mouth and I hate that feeling, mm-hmm. but I didn't get around to it today. So now I have to figure out, am I going to do it in the, uh, my bathroom or am I going to climb to the top of a building like a, like a, like a daredevil or something? Yeah. You know Parkour what I mean? Like style. a Batman. Yeah. Where do you do your, where do you trim and what's your, what's your process? Well, since I stopped going to the barber shop with the dawn of our current era, um, I purchased a high quality plug-in hair trimmer. Oh, so you'd go, you'd have a person do it for you. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Right. But these okay. days I have a high quality trimmer. I go into the backyard Plug it into the plug where the sprinklers are. That's where the water comes out, Jesse. That's no good. <laughs> I no wonder that doesn't work. Luckily, you're not electrified. It's powered by a water wheel. Um, I, I plug into the plugs where the sprinklers plug in, and I do one half across the top, number four on the beard. Um, and then once in a while, I do use... A, a trimmer in the house to get my neckline. Right. Um, and I'll use a little scissor once in a while on my mustache, which I do over the sink in my bathroom. Right. Right. Then, but I, I wouldn't like doing much more than that over the sink. It would be a bit of a hassle because you really got to whoosh around and wet a paper towel or whatever to get the yeah. little hairs off. I look, I I appreciate I appreciate where Kevin is coming from because as you well know and I know too that if you're trimming your facial hair or any hair over the sink in your bathroom it makes a real it makes a kind of a hard mess to clean up. Yeah. You know, beard stubble is kind of the glitter of personal personal grooming. Yeah, that's true. Like you you know what I mean? Rudy Rudy would not like it. Rudy would come into my bathroom and see that beard stubble and it would stab him in the eye because it's hard to get rid of. Yeah. I, you know, Jordan Jesse Go is sometimes sponsored by a company that makes personal groomers. You can go ahead and say it. You can go ahead and say it. Get some extra, get that extra money. Thanks, Manscaped. Use the code JJGO. Yeah. Um, And the best quality of those groomers, I mean, they're perfectly good quality in general, but their, their best characteristic is that they're waterproof. So you can do your personal grooming in the shower where everything just goes straight oh, down the drain. You don't get flows. itchy or make a mess or anything. Yeah. How about that? I would totally try one of those. Pro- now that I, because, you know, I've heard those ads on yours and other podcasts mm-hmm. and um, I find them gross. Yeah. They can be a bit much. <laughs> I just find, it's like, I don't want to hear about this guys. Yeah. But that's a really high quality uh, add on. That's a, that's a value up that their groomers, that their clippers are waterproof, I would want to use that. Because back when I used to shave, I would shave in the shower. It made a lot, of, like with a, you know, with a with a yeah. Gillette or whatever. But if you're if you're trimming over, it's very hard to get it out. And here's the thing. I, when, when you say you do, what is it, half above, half across the top? One half on the top, number four on the beard. You mean you're setting your trimmer guide to one half. Yeah. To, to, to zip off your top hairs. Exactly. And a number four, 
So I've, A, never had my beard professionally trimmed. This may explain a lot about why my facial hair looks the way it does. I've never had it professionally trimmed. And I always freehand it. I don't put a guide on at all. Just freehand. I like to I like to live dangerously. And I like to look terribly, apparently, because it's not working out. <laughs> So when I when when I have the opportunity to go outside to do my trimming, which I've done in the past, it's a real load off my mind because I'm not I'm not I'm not leaving a mess for myself or anyone else to clean up. Now, Kevin, I will give you um, a hint. This is a life hack that I came up with. If you put some paper towels into your sink basin for your trimming. Before your trimming is the English way to say that. Mm-hmm. Then you will collect most of your stubble in those paper towels. And then you just wet them and you just wipe everything on out and you've got yourself a, a beard stubble dumpling that you can just throw away. <laughs> but that's... By the way, have you had the beard stubble dumplings at Momofuku? Incredible. I can't. I can't. I can't. Every time I order them, they're like, we just sold the last one. Ah, Jewish. Just sold the last one to Foodie McFoodie, whoever the most foodie person is today. I don't even know anymore. Yeah. But there's no need to do that because that's that's wasteful. That's wasteful of paper. When you can just go up to the top of your building, plug in. And I would would suggest, Kevin, and it seems like you're doing this. If if you don't have a battery-powered clipper, plug it into a plug. Not the place where the water, the sprinkler gets hooked up to, because that's the water fountain or whatever. Right. That's the water line. You do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get electrocuted. You're going to get turned into a superhero called Water Razor. Yeah. Don't want that. You want to be yourself, Kevin. You definitely want to clip discreetly. I, I think you're doing the right thing by going up there. And if there's someone else up there on the roof already uh, lounging on a cheslong or whatever, don't do it. Don't do it then. Ideally, I don't know what your roof looks like, but find like something to hide you. Like uh, if you have a HVAC unit on top, hide behind the compressor. Yeah. Just go discreetly out of the way, maybe behind the little hut where the door to the roof comes out. Inside a potted bush. Inside a potted bush. <laughs> maybe set up a separate little outdoor shower stall up there for yourself. I don't know. But Kevin's partner, I'm sorry, that's nothing. Kevin's doing nothing wrong. If anything, he's saving you. If anything, he's saving you both some mess that one or both of you are going to have to clean up. And here's the deal. Rooftop lounging on a city, you take your chances. You never know when a pigeon's going to fly into your face. You never know when you're going to like a, a, a flyer for some band playing that floated up out of the alleyway. You never know like, when Blackstreet is going to be singing the hook to a Jay-Z song. Yeah. You never know. You know, there's lots of stuff up there, you know, like never mind stubble. What about all that leftover Spider-Man webs that he's leaving around town all the time? Yeah. Fly right into your eye like that. That guy's a menace. Yeah. I'd pay good money for pictures of that guy. I know. It's very lucrative. If you could get, if you could have a job just taking pictures of Spider-Man selfies somehow, Mm -hmm. you could probably sell them to the newspaper. Probably. And also probably your stubble's being used by birds for their nests. Yeah. Good job, Kevin. You're fine. Sorry, Kevin's partner. You're the opposite of fine. You're you're fine too, but you know, wrong. Here's something from Paul in Capriol, Ontario. My lovely wife, Samantha, often leaves strands and clumps of her hair on the shower walls. Sometimes, Is this what we're going to do all day today? Hair disputes? I guess. You know what I call it when I shave my head out in the backyard? Feeding no. the birds. Feeding the birds. <laughs> They love it for their nests. Yeah. Uh, My lovely wife, Samantha, often leaves strands and clumps of her hair on the shower walls, sometimes for days at a time. It tends to dry out, expand off the wall, then get caught on me while I shower. This grosses me out. Please, Judge, place an injunction on my wife to have her clean her hair off the wall after she showers. Thank you for your time. Jesse, this is uh, gross. Yeah. This is a gross dispute. Very gross. But the solution to this gross dispute is obvious. But before I make my ruling, can I just clarify something, Jesse? Of course. Where do Paul and Samantha live? 
that's Capriol, Ontario. Capriol, Ontario? Yeah. Really? On the Vermilion River? I think that's right, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. They're in Ontario. Jesse, did you know that the source of the Vermilion River is an unnamed lake? Literally an unnamed lake. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you know? I didn't know that. Um, and you know, I bet David Reese doesn't know that either. The source of the river is an unnamed lake. Oh, David Reese. Did he write back? Oh, this is what David Reese writes back. Nothing. My dad knows those beaches from his childhood, though. Phil Reese. Phil wrote the segment. Yeah. Phil Reese got a big birthday coming up, but uh, I don't I don't think he's got time to be writing segments. Thank you, David. I don't know. Not so sure. I don't think that even Phil Reese, though, would know that the Vermilion, the source of the Vermilion River is literally an unnamed lake in a region of Ontario that is literally called unorganized Sudbury. <laughs> and I don't even think that Phil Reese knows that the Vermilion River flows 200 kilometers. It's about 120 miles in length, first southeast, largely following the Canadian National Railway transcontinental line until it reaches Capriol, Ontario, at which point it turns west and then twists and turns its way through Vermilion Lake, McFadden Falls, the Duncan Chute, the Whitefish Lake Six Ojibwa First Nations Reserve, and then turns west and then southwest again via Rat Lake until it reaches the town of Espanola, Ontario, where it flows into the Spanish River and finally out to Lake Huron. Hey, Kate, you think David Reese wrote that? No mostly wikipedia so far but the rest is all me john hodgman author of your second in history judge john hodgman great lake speech report because as you probably know kate lake huron was named for the wyandot nation who lived there until they were killed by european disease and eventually dispersed by forced resettlement first to kansas and eventually to oklahoma with a smaller reserve in quebec city the French called them Hurons. They were called the Wyandots, the Wendots. It is the second largest freshwater Great Lake and the third largest on Earth, if you don't count the Caspian Sea, which I assuredly do not. Who would? And if you combine Lake Huron with Lake Michigan, and why wouldn't you? They are only separated by the five-mile Strait of Mackinac and are, hydrologically speaking, one lake system, Lake Huron-Michigan, or Lake Michigan-Huron, is the largest lake on Earth, Kate. Now, Kate, Jesse, Jennifer, you ask. Lake Huron. Does this, does this lake have beaches? No, I didn't ask that, but go ahead. Look, I don't know the answer. Why don't you ask the soft sands at Sobble Beach in the town of South Bruce Peninsula? That was my backup plan. South Bruce Peninsula in the county of Bruce. Sauble Beach was once the site of the Canadian National Beach Volleyball Championships and home to not one but two former National Hockey League players, Lane and Curtis McDermott, brothers. Both of the McDermott's. Why don't you ask Wasaga Beach? It only happens to be the longest freshwater beach in the world. Bite at Caspian Sea. Wasaga Beach is not only the former home of Jason Arnott, another former NHL hockey player. Holy cow. Yeah, famed for his Stanley Cup winning goal uh, in the year 2000. He played for the New Jersey Devils and they won against a different team. Good job. There's Congratulations. A, there's a Jason Arnott day in Wasaga Beach. But also, Wasaga Beach was once the home of Adam Copeland and Jason Reno or Renault. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Because I know them better, as you do, by their WWE ring names. Edge and Christian wrestlers. Canadian wrestlers. Hey, Kate, why don't you go ask Grand Bend Beach if that's a beach. Grand Bend Beach, a.k.a. Florida North. Site of the MTV Canada reality show Grand Benders. <laughs> do you know that, that one, Jesse? Was their answer to uh, Jersey Shore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that some of these beaches had been featured on Much Music, but I wasn't aware of that MTV Canada show. MTV Canada. Grand Benders featured. So it was a reality show that followed the wild misadventures of Mickey Rappaport and his son, Justin, the owners of Grand Ben's Rowdy Coco's Nightclub. The show ran from 2012 until 2015 when both Mickey and Justin were arrested for allegedly assaulting Sean Evans, a Coco's DJ, who also happened to be a season 11 bachelorette contestant. What a crossover here. It's going down in Grand Beach. Yeah. 
They were arrested for allegedly assaulting Sean Evans by throwing a brick at Sean Evans's head and not missing. Yeah. I don't know what the state of that case is. That's incredible. Ask these beaches if there are beaches in Lake Huron. And if those sands could talk, they would say, obviously, we have beaches in our name. But, Jesse, Jennifer, the allure of Lake Huron is not just on shore. It is also not. under the water. For across the lake in Michigan, it's an international lake. There is a siren who lures sailors to their doom. Jesse, there is. <laughs> it's called. It's literally called Shipwreck Alley. There are so many shipwrecks in Lake Huron that they created the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary in 2000 to protect the lake shorebed because Lake Huron has been killing ships since the 17th century, including. Le Griffon, the very first European fixed-mass ship to even attempt to navigate the lake. The first one, Lake Huron, killed it. Le Griffon's final resting place is unknown, but Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary has mapped and preserved the location of some 116 historically significant sunken ships from the 19th to the early 20th century. And unlike oceans, which ruin shipwrecks with rust and shipwreck-eating worms, true... The clear, fresh waters of Lake Huron, after they get done killing these ships, perfectly preserve them. And you can view some of them via glass bottom boat and even snorkel through the L.M. Mason, which sunk in 1861. But others that fell victim to the so-called shipwreck alley remain hidden except to the most experienced divers. People come from all over the world, including Australia, to, to float around in ships like the Shamrock and the Harvey Bissell, and the Knight Templar, and a ship called the Dump Scow, and a wooden dredge. I mean, if you're in the Antipodes and you hear about the Dump Scow, you book yourself the first flight yeah. you can to... Yeah, you call up Qantas Airlines and Ontario. say, get, get, me, get, me to, get me to Lake Huron. There's also, also among the 116 in just this area alone, Shipwreck Alley, a wooden dredge called heart failure. I don't know. Weirdly, truly weirdly to my mind, there is only a single Google Maps review of the Thunder Bay Marine Sanctuary. Lysico Apakidze gave it one star and a one-word review. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly in Swedish. It is spelled S-A-M-S-T with a with a an umlaut above the A. Samst, which according to Google translates to worst. That's it. One review, one star, one word, worst. But I'm not sure I take Lysico's word for it because Lysico has only written two other reviews of places on Google. One was for the Paris airport Le Bourget, which is is not the one I know. And he he wrote Fin Fliegplatz, which means nice airport. Okay. And then the other was for something called the Eiffel Tower. One star. (laughs) Valbra. Well, good. I don't know if I'm translating this correctly, but I think Lisico is wrong. I think, I think the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary sounds amazing. So forget Paris and get yourself out there to the largest lake on earth, Lake Michigan, Huron or Lake Huron, Michigan. Take your pick. It's one great lake. That's your judge. John Hodgman, great lake speech report. Humbly submitted to you by John Hodgman, Kate, me. So anyway, about that uh, hair in the shower. Oh, yeah, it's gross. Stop doing that. We're going to take a quick break to hear from this week's partners. We'll be back with more cases to clear from the docket on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. 
The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids graduation to whatever. I have one of these and I got one for my dad and I got one for my mother-in-law and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket this week, and we have a case from Julia in Greensboro, South Carolina. Greensboro, South Carolina. My fiance and I have a long-running argument that requires your judgment. We both love celebrating Friendsgiving, mm -hmm. but neither of us can agree on when or what Friendsgiving actually is. I believe that Friendsgiving is a meal held before or on Thanksgiving with friends where everyone brings a dish of Thanksgiving food to share. It's typically for people who don't live near their families or for friends to celebrate together before the holiday. My fiancé says that an actual Friendsgiving is always held after Thanksgiving and consists of Thanksgiving leftovers shared with friends. He claims this makes more sense because you can serve leftovers and not have to cook a whole separate meal. Mm. We ask you issue an order as to when Friendsgiving should be celebrated. Have you ever done this, Jennifer or Jesse, Friendsgiving? I celebrated Thanksgiving with a group of friends when I lived in New York and I wasn't coming home for Thanksgiving, but I think right. we just called it Thanksgiving. We didn't give it this Friendsgiving mm -hmm. name. We were just like, we're going to have Thanksgiving at Doug's house. Let's go. And wasn't Doug's giving the best Doug's giving he's ever had? Yeah, hands yeah. down. We brought a turkey on the train from <laughs> from Bedsty all the way to Astoria, baby. Yeah, that's the plot of that movie, The Warriors. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> the taking of turkey one two three. <laughs> the turkey of taking one two G. <laughs> it's the G train, folks. Yeah. Is it the, Thanks, Jennifer. Is it, yeah. Did David Reese write that? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, another David Reese ghost written uh, jammer. 
What about you? John Kimball wrote it actually. It was about the skyline. Yeah. Whoa. It's an electron profit makers deep <laughs> cut reference. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the great things about election profit makers, and you know, and this is like one of the great things about friends. Friends when friends can give you joy just thinking about them. When I learned that John Kimball, co-host of Election Profit Makers with David Reese, was really into skylines, sincerely and deeply into skylines. Like he thinks about them and keeps a spreadsheet of the best skylines and has criteria for why a skyline is good and and less good. And you got to ask him about it. Go listen to election profit makers. But at some point he he received a letter from, I think, a, an English language school in Singapore. They were listeners to the podcast and the kids were asked to vote on best skylines. And you know what came in? Number two best skyline in the world in this class in Singapore. Hartford, Connecticut. Wow. And it was a big ha-ha laugh on EPM until the next time, and here in my heart, until the next time I drove by Hartford, Connecticut, as I, as I often do, where I-91 connects with I-84 as I'm, go, as I'm going north to, uh, to Maine, for example, or south from Maine. And let me tell you something I never thought about before. That is one majestic skyline. Looks great. You look at it from I-84, it's amazing. It looks like a real city and not just the haunted insurance capital that has no humans in it. <laughs> anyway, here's what I think. First of all, Julius Friance is wrong. You don't disagree with me on that, do you, Jesse Thorne? You're absolutely correct. Friendsgiving is, is Thanksgiving when you get together with your friends instead of your family. Correct. It is not an after party. No. It's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not Friends Boxing Day. No. It's Friendsgiving. Not something you do later. I don't know where you pick that up, fiance, but you're wrong. But here's the other thing I got to say to Julia is that, like, I I I love the idea of friends getting together to, when you know, like Jennifer, you were in New York and away from family, and they get together and they and they sit down and they have this special meal together and they offer gratitude to each other for their friendship and what they enjoy and that's blah 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 blah. I love that, right? But that's not the spirit of Friendsgiving. Exactly. Friendsgiving, in my mind, the spirit of Friendsgiving, and Jennifer, you're going to have to hit the button on this one. The true spirit of Friendsgiving, Julia, is Thanksgiving. <laughs> because that's why it has a different name. <laughs> if you were doing Thanksgiving with your friends instead of your family, and Jennifer, I'm not maligning you in this. You didn't know my feelings about this, maybe. No, I don't believe I did. Right. It's fine. Look, call it what you want. But Thanksgiving is a is a dumb offensive holiday that should be stopped. It is a celebration of a completely a completely fictitious history of the United States except for the genocide part. It's a true whitewash of almost everything it claims to celebrate except for the horrible stuff. It's a celebration essentially of genocide and cultural erasure. It's gross. The, you know, just thematically. Sorry, everybody. And before you go out there, yes, I dressed as a quote unquote pilgrim and chased a live turkey around on a photo shoot in 2008 for Bon Appetit magazine, no less. I'm your problematic fave. I'm sorry that I did what I did. I wouldn't do it today. I was stupid. I apologize for it. It was a mistake. It's going to be a great episode of Fanti. We'll just talk about that gif. You can find it online now or gif. I, I look at it and I regret it. I'm like, that's wrong. Thanksgiving is wrong. Thanksgiving is a wrong holiday. And that's setting aside the fact that logistically it's just stupid. It's on a Thursday and you have to drive to your family on a Thursday? And then what, you get a couple of days off after that? And then it's only a couple of weeks before whatever big winter holiday you celebrate or don't celebrate? I mean, it's just too much. Between October, between Halloween... And your, and your big rush of your winter holidays and New Year's Eve uh, in the Western tradition, you need a break. And you, what you don't need is to drive through traffic to eat bland food with family members who might be racist. It's bad. It's a bad holiday. Am I, yeah, are we going to host my mother-in-law? Of course. Yeah. You know what I mean. But I'm trying to say that Friendsgiving is a movement. It's not merely an alternative Thanksgiving or one you do because it's more convenient. 
you should celebrate Friendsgiving if you're going to celebrate it at all instead of Thanksgiving, period. Tell your relations, I'm not doing it. I'm not even going to eat turkey. I'm going to have get together with my friends and eat what I want and be grateful for things I should be grateful for. Not this dumb, fake, awful American mythology and these yams. No offense, yams. Whatever, eat whatever you want. Let you like what you like. Can't, I can't stand the sweet potatoes or the yams. I'm sorry. It's not in me. Ooh, a little, got a little hot there. Yeah. Jennifer, did I offend you by calling your Friendsgiving fake because you called it Thanksgiving? No. I think okay. that we all gathered, you know, to celebrate each other and be thankful yes. for our friendships. And it was a, yeah, that's we, why Thanksgiving is the best. Never for one moment were we like, you know, doing the pilgrim thing and all that no, stuff. No, I, I wasn't suggesting you were wearing Jennifer, you were wearing a pilgrim suit. Well, that was the fashion in yeah. 2007. It was 2007. Yeah, that, you couldn't get away from that in New York <laughs> no, City. It was like no. vice do's and don'ts was all just mm -hmm. different ways of wearing pilgrim suits. Right. But no, I um, judge, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's a big time for pilgrim suits and electro clash. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't mean to single you out exactly. I just meant to no, say No, I didn't that, feel singled out. Yeah, that Friendsgiving as an idea, it's, an, uh, it's a kind of gross word. I don't like to say it, Friendsgiving. But as an idea, as a cancellation of Thanksgiving, that is at its greatest value. That is the spirit of, of Friendsgiving. I think we all should celebrate it. And once again, I really, really am sorry that I wore that pilgrim outfit and chased that turkey. It wasn't great for either of us. It was mean to the turkey. It was insensitive of me. And I apologize. I like Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, yeah. Jesse. Yeah, me and Jen well, like it. Well, look, look you, I like being with my family. Yeah, if you like being with your family, great. If you love traveling with your family, great. Redefine the holiday however you see it. I mean, like yeah, that's you, like more or less like. what we do. But I like Jen's family too. Yeah, we're great. My family's problematic, so it's nice to spend some time with Jen's mom. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm not invited to Jen's. You're always welcome. I think I really blew it. You're always welcome. My dad, I think, would be happier to have you there than all of us. You know, people say that Jen's mom is just a mother, but <laughs> she's also my commercial real estate agent. They do always say that. Oh. One of the great sayings. <laughs> okay, here's something from Marcella in Mount Kisco, New York. Dear Judge Hodgman, my husband and I go on long drives sometimes, and I regularly take naps while listening to podcasts. Specifically, listening to you and Jesse be kind and funny makes me feel safe, and I often fall asleep. When the show ends, my husband puts on shows he likes, often the Flophouse. Invariably, this wakes me up. <laughs> I request an injunction that while I'm napping during drives, my husband only chooses podcasts that help keep me asleep. We even have a playlist in our podcast player app called Marcella Car Rides, which are podcasts we both enjoy listening to. Well, I'm grateful, Marcella, that we could be your narcoleptic fave. Yeah. <laughs> the tryptophanic podcast that puts you right to sleep. I, I've heard this a few times, Jesse, that people like to listen to this podcast. Uh, and they put a little sleep timer and they put a little, they put their little headsets on and they fall asleep to us. And that's, that's a real, I consider that a real um, compliment. And I'm glad, I'm glad you can enjoy that in your, and I, and I'm glad that you put a sleep timer on so that we're not invading your dreams. Yeah. Uh, because Marcella, you probably don't know this because you fall asleep about two thirds through every episode of judge john Hodgman, but i usually do a post-credit sequence uh which is just wild um subliminal advertising yeah wild backward mask demon worship uh weird soundscapes stuff that will really mess up your your dreams so make sure you make sure you you sleep time it off because uh you could awaken an agent of uh an agent of Hodgman, and you don't want that I also understand why the Flophouse wakes her up, right, Jesse? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to tell me. I'm friends with Elliot in real life. I mean, look, I'm friends with all three of them in real life. But me and Elliot's kids play on the same Little League team, you know? I didn't know that. That's adorable. Yeah, they're really cute. 
Oh, wow, that's adorable. Yeah. And Ellie, it's adorable too. So if you don't know, please do know the Flophouse is a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's a little bit more popular than this one. Mm-hmm. I've learned to live with it. Mm-hmm. Three friends watch a terrible movie and then talk about it. It's just that simple. They've been doing it for more than 10 years. It's Elliot Kalen uh, and Dan McCoy, my friends from when I worked at The Daily Show, both incredibly funny writers, and Stuart Wellington, their friend, and now mine, a very, very funny, uh, smart, and handsome fella. And he and his wife, Charlene, own and operate a few bars here in Brooklyn, including uh, Minnie's and Hinterland's Bar. Uh, both are terrific bars if bars are part of your life. Please check them out. And often you'll see Stu uh, working there. Tending Bar, they call it. And they're so funny and they're so smart. And the movies they talk about are so bad that it's a delight, but it's not a soothing podcast. It is a riffing podcast. It is a everybody's jumping onto jokes podcast. I could see why it wakes you up kind of podcast. And for me, Jesse, I know that we have a rule about how to listen to podcasts, but I do listen to the Flophouse three times every week. Do you know why? Why is that? I listen to it one time through to enjoy stew. Then I listen to it again at one and a half speed so that Dan sounds like he's talking at a normal pace. Right. And then I listen to it again at half speed so that Elliot sounds like he's talking at a normal pace after having a few drinks. (laughs) I just got to get them all. In fact... As our uh, terrifying soundscape for the end of this episode, at the post credit sequence, Jennifer Marmer, will you grab the latest episode of The Flophouse as of this writing? It is uh, Elliot, Stu, and Dan, along with the incredible writer Jamel Bowie, uh, talking about Andy the Talking Hedgehog. A Tara Reid and Dean Cain vehicle. Re- a recent Tara Reid and Dean Cain vehicle that was like beyond straight to video. Like, who knows? It truly it looks shown. like they they made the poster out of stock photographs. It looks like you know, like when you buy a hammock on a e-commerce website that's drop shipping directly from China, and there's uh-huh. just a picture of an attractive mom, like with with her with her a fist next to her head, resting her head slightly sideways, and right. then there's a clearly slightly out of scale hammock next to her in front of her fireplace. Right, that's what the poster looks like. Yes. Yeah. I want to make a movie about this lady in her hammock. Oh, Jesse, I've just got an incredible idea. I'm going to buy some IP. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy, I'm going to option a very, very major piece of intellectual property to adapt it to a major film franchise. Are you ready for the Vermont country store catalog movie? Yes. Do you think we can get Kevin Sorbo? (laughs) I I think we could probably get Kevin Sorbo. It's all about a guy trying to find the last existing bottle of Gee, Your Hair Smells Terrific brain shampoo. <laughs> anyway. These pajamas are flannel! Anyway, yes, please grab a selection of, the, of that podcast and play it at half speed after the credits. Just so we can hear Elliot Kalen at half speed. It's a real delight. It's a real delight. Yeah. And put some psychedelic music, some stock psychedelic music under it as well. That way, next time Marcella falls asleep to the podcast, she'll have terrible dreams. In the meantime, Marcella, I got to tell you, there's a long settled precedent. Judge John Hodgman, the person driving, gets to pick what's on the on the stereo system. And what I would say is, and I appreciate, you know, your 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 husband could be very considerate and and only listen to soporific podcasts like ours. But if it's a long drive and he needs to engage with his friends, the floppies, I'm going to allow it. I'm just going to suggest that he adjust the balance and fade in the car so that it is right. The sound is located right at him and offer you, I hope, some rest and maybe put in some uh, headphones. Let's take a quick break when we come back. We've got a completely new and entirely original segment that no one has ever heard of called Car Talk. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket and we have a case here from Miles. Your Honor, I drive a big, obnoxious four-wheel drive vehicle. It's a 2012 Nissan Xterra Pro 4X, which is based on a pickup truck platform and shares almost all of its mechanical parts with a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. It has serious off-road capabilities that I put to the test often. It has a body-on-frame platform, four-low, locking differentials, descent control, skid plates, and a winch, to name just a few of its features. Whoa, go greased lightning. My buddy John insists on calling it an SUV, but this vehicle's core and essence is that of a truck. So is a truck strictly a pickup truck, as Americans tend to describe them? Or does the essence and function of a vehicle override the meaningless propaganda developed in marketing departments to sell more vehicles? Please see attached for three photos, including one with our friend Drew's Xterra on top of a mountain in Northern California. Mm. And uh, we'll show these photos, of course, on the Judge John Hodgman show page at uh, MaximumFun.org, as well as on our Instagram page at uh, Instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman. And these look like, uh, I mean, there are two, there are two photos, including the one that's on top of a mountain that look like, uh, photos that you get when you go to the xterra.com website to buy one of these vehicles. I almost called it a truck, but I haven't ruled yet. That's suspense. That's tease. And then there's also a photo of an Xterra with its hood open. And I guess this is Miles's Xterra because I think this is his Xterra and he seems to have plugged in his tire to his engine i'm not really sure what's happened you you know about cars jesse don't you car talk why is this why is it a yellow curly extension cord running from his tire to his engine yeah he's plugged his tire into his engine oh okay that's how he makes the tires go well otherwise the tire would run out of batteries good point you know uh i i've heard enough to rule on this but before i could i then got an email from miles's friend who's named john who very upset that I had not ruled yet because John is on the opposite side and he feels it was very important for me to hear his testimony. And here's what he had to say, Jesse. John wrote, it has come to my attention that my friend Miles had submitted a request for a ruling that his Nissan Xterra is a truck. From my understanding, the chassis used on Miles' SUV is the body on frame type. And yes, most trucks use this body on frame. But would the 1972 Ford Econoline van be considered a truck because it utilizes a body on frame? No, that's a van. Dress it up with a winch, still a van. Maybe take a new generation E-Series van with a four-wheel drive, a winch, decent control, and lift package? Go grease lightning so you can hit the Arizona desert? Is this a truck? No, this is an adventure van. Or, I venture to say, and this is Judge John Hodgman speaking, the Judge John Hodgman tour bus for 2022. Awesome. I agree his SUV is built on the bones of a truck, but it was created as marketed and sold as an SUV. You can bring up all the truck similarities you want, but at some point you have to ask, Miles, is this just some sort of ego trip? All right. We've heard from both sides, Jesse Thorne. Now, Jesse, I had to go to Wikipedia to learn what a, what a body-on-frame chassis means. 
And what I learned was that a body on frame chassis is the oldest way to make a car where the, where the wheels and the drivetrain are attached to a rigid old iron, hard, but chassis frame. And the body, the thing you sit in is placed on top of it. That's how they used to make my beloved Lincoln town cars and crown Vicks with the very, very famous Ford quote-unquote Panther chassis, a beloved frame-on-body construction that limousine drivers and taxi drivers and people who owned fleets of those cars loved because those cars would never die, and passengers loved them too because one of the benefits of a body-on-frame chassis is you don't feel the road so much as a unibody, which is the way most cars are made. Uh, since the 1930s, most passenger cars are made, certainly not trucks, but passenger cars are made of a unibody type in which the uh, the body and the frame are made together as one piece because it is more economical to make them that way. And they're lighter and you get, get better gas mileage out of them. Car talk. I only mention all of this stuff because Ford, as you may know, Jesse, is based in Michigan. And there's a lake named for Michigan. Have you ever heard of that? It's time for an up. No, I'm not going to do it. Thank God. I was just, I was just talking about cars so that we could understand some of the terminology, yeah, that is being used here. I mean, you're now, describing. I mean, you just described my favorite truck, the Ford Crown Victoria. That's not a truck. Oh, I see what you're doing, Bailiff Jesse. It's absolutely true that the Nissan Xterra, which was manufactured by Nissan Motors from 1999 to 2015, uses a body-on-frame construction that is most, most common and almost exclusively used nowadays by trucks and some of the larger SUVs that are in the market, particularly Toyotas. But this is not, to my mind, a truck, Jesse. Would you call an Xterra a truck? No, it's absurd. I mean, the the category SUV, sport utility vehicle, right, was created specifically to describe this type of vehicle. <laughs> like, it's not a car right. and it's not a truck. So they came up with a name for it based on the very activities uh, that are being described in this letter. Yeah, yeah. And the ones that they still manufacture as trucks, they do to avoid certain emission standards because they're very, very popular in this class. And lots and lots and lots of people, Miles, who would buy a Nissan Xterra would never, ever, ever buy a truck. So Miles, yes, you, I mean, what, what you have is a sport utility vehicle. And now, you know, sport utility vehicle, the terminology is mutating as well because it's coming to describe SUV style vehicles that are built with unibodies for the same reasons you build any car with a unibody. It's more efficient in terms of its fuel mileage. It's cheaper to make. The number of SUVs that have what your beloved Xterra have, which is these truck bones of this body on frame design and all the other descent control and blah, 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 blah. Those are becoming the exception and no longer the rule, but it is still a sport utility vehicle in the same way that a hot dog is not a sandwich. If you sent someone out to get you a pickup truck and you gave them a Nissan Xterra, they would hate you. A truck, a Nissan Xterra is a, it's fun for, for sports. And apparently there's some utility because you can charge your tires right from the engine. <laughs> but by almost any definition, I mean, a pickup truck has to have a cab and a bed. It's got to have an open bed. Even if you cover up that open bed with a, with a bed cover, and I'm not talking about a duvet, but you know, one of those caps that you can put on the back of a pickup truck. It's still, that's still a truck. It's got to have a, it's got to have a dedicated cargo, cargo only area, cargo, 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 cargo. It's used for moving stuff around that are not human. Or dogs, and you have a nice picture of your dog that you sent in your Xterra. We'll put that up on the website too. You just gotta have it's gotta have cargo space. That's not what the Xterra is all about. Even if you have a truck that you don't use as a truck, like those people who drive around in those fancy pants Cadillac trucks that have an open bed in the back, but they never ever put anything in there except like their Gucci handbags. Whoo, boy, I'm a real anti snob person now. Those are trucks, right? Because it's a truck. You know what a truck is, so stop it. 
Sorry, Miles, you're wrong. John, you're right. Have fun driving to the tops of mountains. Be careful out there. Take it from me, guy who's owned two Chevrolet El Caminos. Is that a truck? That's an interesting question. That's an interesting question because that has an open bed in the back. Yeah. What about a Subaru Brat? God, I'd love to have a Subaru Brat. Or a Subaru Baja. I bought a Subaru Brat. And let me ask you this. Yeah, okay. The other day parked on my block was a cherry AMC Eagle. Mm. Is that an SUV or a car? We'll never know. We'll never know. Hey, we have to admit gray areas in this life and respect the gray areas. Does your Nissan drive through a twilight between truckness and carness? Of course, that's what an SUV is. Enjoy driving through twilight. Enjoy driving to the tops of buttes and canyons. That's what you're. That's what it's there for. I'm glad you're using it. Hey, you know who's always wanted an Xterra? Who's that? Ryan McDonough. My friend Ryan McDonough, a.k.a. Cuervo Man, whom I profiled on This American Life back in 2000, 2001. He was the guy who was the brand ambassador for Cuervo, who used to pour shots into, I'm presuming, graduate students' mouths at college bars. Yeah. And who was himself a recovered alcoholic. Uh-huh. One of the sweetest, funniest guys in the world. Uh, and they and they gave him a Captain Morgan's because it was the same brand. They gave him a Captain Morgan's pickup truck to drive around when he would go from bar to bar. And he's like, "This is crazy. I should have a tequila colored Xterra." I always think about that. The guy knows how to make things, and you know what he made? A feature film. Ryan went out and wrote and produced a short, a semi autobiographical feature film about growing up in Rosendale, Massachusetts, called Last Night in Rosie. Then went out. And made it into a feature starring Jeremy Sisto from television and stuff. And it's out now available on all your streams and platforms. It's a great movie. Ryan's a wonderful guy. He's truly just an incredible... Go back and listen to Another Day in Margaritaville, the the piece that I wrote about Ryan on This American Life from 2001 or two. Actually, it was 2002. I remember now. And then go check out what Ryan is up to now, um, some almost 20 years later. Truly lovely guy. And a former Princeton Tiger Tone to boot. I subscribe to a subreddit called Battle Cars. Mm-hmm. And it's people who turn their cars into semi-fantastical off-road vehicles. Mm-hmm. Typically, they actually use them for off-roading. Uh, right. But they, but they are sort of have a Mad Max homemade quality to them. And they off they off-road right to Burning Man, right? Yeah. No, no, not at all. No, no. not in oh. not not in the slightest. These are not right. these people are not going to Burning Man. These people are going to the uh gathering of the Juggalos. Okay. Um and uh the other day somebody posted their like lifted knobby tire, skid plate, fog lamps, Toyota Avalon. And I loved it. I loved seeing it. The ultimate for for when your grandma is ready to take on the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, the docket is clear. That's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. Our editor, Valerie Moffat. Oh, I also want to mention uh, that if you noticed any difference in the sound quality on this week's show, it's because we had a little bit of recording trouble um, so we had to use a little bit of backup tape, but uh, probably you didn't notice. If you did notice, congratulations, you've got great ears. And I just wanted to mention it because uh, I didn't want you to think that you were hearing things. Follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. Make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO, and check out the Maximum Fund subreddit to discuss this episode. Submit your cases at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO or email Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm just mad I refuse to watch it because it's clearly a ripoff of my pitch, Pep Boy Island. 
where they had the ladies have to decide who's a, who's worth keeping and who's a pep boy. And it's re- relatively obvious because the pep boys have huge heads and they only want to talk about auto parts. Yeah. And, 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 and the pep boy just mechanics. Yeah, like they. But which, that can be romantic. Which, which one of you is the pep boy? <laughs> I think it's me, ma'am. <laughs> Are you like the No, I'm the surviving car talk brother. <laughs> Close. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, but uh, now I imagine... A sad scene where one of them goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, uh, I'd like you to sit down. Uh, I called you down because the test results came back. You were a pet boy. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, I am. And he's got a huge head. He's in black and white. And he's dressed like it's the, the 50s or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported